Well, good morning. How are you guys? Good, I hope. Hey, we're really glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us also. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Will, and I have the honor of serving on the team here at Grace, and we are just so glad that you're here to to worship with us and to dive into God's Word together with us this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. We are in week two of our At The Movies series, so if you weren't here last week or weren't here last year, let me just take a moment to explain the what and the why. Of, of what we're doing this morning. And what we're doing is we're looking at Scripture, and we're looking at God's Word and what He has to tell us through His Word this morning. And we're using a vehicle of movies to do so. Now, I love this series. It's always a lot of fun to do. And we're doing this because we deeply believe that God created this world and everything in it. Even outside this, these walls out outside in this, the secular world that, that God created it, that his fingerprints and evidence of him is all around. And so as a Christian, it's a really good thing for us to be able to go into this world and see evidence of God all the way around us and everywhere we look. And so we take this series to look at movies to help train our minds to see God in the world around us. And we intentionally, for that purpose, then choose secular movies. Movies that don't revolve around God, that don't revolve around Scripture or the things of God, so that we can train our minds to see God in the world around us. Now, so as a disclaimer, as we get started this morning, we chose secular movies. This is not us promoting and encouraging of these movies or everything that these movies contain or everything that's in them by any stretch of the imagination. We have to use wisdom in discerning what is good and evil in this world, just like we have to do in these movies and in everything we come across. And so we are training our minds with these movies. We're training our minds to see God and to use wisdom to discern in this world and in movies. And I am just really, really excited to, to dive into this movie. This is a movie that I really enjoy when I sat down to, to think about this back in January of this year. I was looking at the theme of where we're going for this year as a whole, and as I was thinking about movies, this one just, just popped into my mind, and I really have really, really enjoyed this movie. How many of you have seen Hidden Figures? A lot of you. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you haven't seen it, it revolves around three African-American women who were absolutely crucial to the space program, to NASA during this, this time when they're trying to put a man into space, into orbit, and then later on to the moon. And they played crucial roles, but you've probably never heard of them. Not just because they're women, but because they're African-American women. They did not get any recognition at all. And so what I thought would be fun to do today is to look at each one of these women and then see if we can find a woman or women in scripture who kind of mirror them. Because the reality is that women, not just in this movie, not just in U.S. history or world history, but in scripture, have always played a crucial role, and it's often been behind the scenes. Often we might make jokes about, well, I'm the man, I make the decisions. Men, come on, we know who makes the decisions at home, right? We know who the boss is, the real decision maker. How many of you have seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding? You guys seen that movie? Okay, so you, you remember that line in there and the women are talking. They say, man may be the head, but women are the neck. And the neck turns ahead any way she wants. <laughs> it's just such a great line. Right, but we... <laughs> 
men have often been the ones that get the credit. We look at the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, and we see a list of, of some women, but predominantly men. But there have always been women behind the scenes. And everything that has been a success often has women who were driving forces and played crucial roles behind it. And so that's what we're going to do today. Today there's three women that are highlighted in this movie that played critical roles. And the first one is Mary Jackson. Mary Jackson wanted deeply to be an engineer, but she had to go to an all-white school to do that. And so she went before the judge to petition to go to this all-white school. So check out this clip of Mary Jackson. Mary Jackson, petition to attend courses at Hampton High School. Good morning, y'all. Hampton High School is a white school, Mrs. Jackson. Yes, Your Honor, I'm aware. Your Honor, if I may, I believe there are special circumstances to be considered. May I approach your bench, sir? Your Honor, you of all people should understand the importance of being first. How's that, Mrs. Jackson? Well, you were the first in your family to serve in the armed forces, U.S. Navy, the first to attend university, George Mason, and the first state judge to be recommissioned by three consecutive governors. You've done some research. Yes, sir. What's the point? The point is, Your Honor, no Negro woman in the state of Virginia has ever attended an all-white high school. It's unheard of. Yeah, unheard of. And before Alan Shepard sat on top of a rocket, no other American had ever touched space. And now he will forever be remembered as the U.S. Navy man from New Hampshire, the first to touch the stars. And I said, I plan on being an engineer at NASA, but I can't do that without taking them classes at that all-white high school. And I can't change the color of my skin. So I have no choice but to be the first which I can't do without you, sir. Your Honor, out of all the cases you're going to hear today, which one is going to matter 100 years from now? Which one is going to make you the first? (laughs) Only the night classes, Mrs. Jackson. There's a story that Jesus tells as a parable that actually mirrors this pretty closely of a judge and a widow. In Luke chapter 18, we read this. He, being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But after a while he said to himself, though I never, neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that, uh, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? This, this is, this is God, right? Being a good judge, a righteous judge. 
And as I thought about this story and I thought about the power of prayer and how when we pray in the spirit with the power of the resurrected son to the father seated on the throne, we can move the heart of God. There is so much power in prayer as we go before the judge, go before God with our request. I thought of a particular woman from the Old Testament by the name of Hannah. And Hannah prayed deeply and passionately. See, she had no children. Her husband had another wife and she had children. And and we have to understand this honor-shame culture, and especially for women, a primary way of bringing honor to yourself and your families by having children, often a son. And a big way of having shame, of bringing shame upon yourself, is by not having children. So she prayed to God deeply and passionately for a son. And we read this of this time when she was in the temple in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 11. She, she was so, so deeply wanting a son that she made a vow. Verse 11 says, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. If you would just hear my prayers, if you would just hear the cries of my heart, I will give him right back to you. She was praying so passionately that her lips were moving, but not a sound was heard. Verse 13 says, Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, the priest, took her to be a drunken woman. She was praying so passionately, he thought she was drunk. He actually came and criticized her, rebuked her. Don't be drunk. And Hannah replied in verses 15 and 16, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. She petitioned the judge over and over and over and over again and God heard her prayers and her cry and answered her prayers and gave her a son and he she named him Samuel and after weaning she did take him to the temple he grew up in the temple he took Eli's place as priest he anointed King Saul he anointed King David and played a crucial role as the priest of Israel for many many years and all because she prayed deeply and passionately for a son. As I think about the people who I know that I would put this label of prayer warrior on, there are several names who come to mind, and there are a couple guys. But by and large, they are women who pray passionately. Some of you know Pam Coffey served here before Mark retired three years ago, and she was a prayer warrior. Jenny Baltazer, who passed last year, she prayed passionately. Some of you have come back to Christ or come uh, grew up in the church because you've had mothers or grandmothers who have prayed for you and prayed for you and prayed for you. Every week, Hannah and I get a text from my mom that she's prayed for us, and I know it's not just on Sunday. I know it's through the week. 
And I have no doubt in my mind that one day when we get to heaven, when we know all things, there are going to be so many things that God's like, yeah, this, this thing that happened over here is because this woman prayed for decades. This, this world event that you, you gave me credit for is because this group of women prayed for decades and moved me to action. There is so much power in prayer, and some of the deepest prayer warriors I know have been women who have served as hidden figures behind the scenes and have petitioned the judge over and over and over and have moved the heart of God. And I am so, so grateful. The second woman that we see in Hidden Figures is Katherine Johnson. And Katherine Johnson is, uh, works as a computer. I know that might sound strange. We think of a computer as the device in our pocket or our laptop or desktop at home. But some of you remember that time before computers were things, that computer was an occupation. It was a job. And she was the best computer there was and worked at the Space Task Force and played a critical role getting... Uh, the astronaut back down to the ground safely after being in orbit. That was the math that they couldn't figure out. Let's check out this clip of Catherine. The problem is when the capsule moves from an elliptical orbit to a parabolic orbit. There's no mathematical formula for that. Because we can calculate launch and landing, but without this conversion, the capsule stays in orbit. We can't bring it back home. Maybe we've been thinking about this all wrong. How's that? Maybe it's not new math at all. It could be old math. Something that looks at the problem numerically and not theoretically. Math is always dependable. For you, it is. Euler's method. Euler's method? Yes. Then that's ancient. But it works. It works numerically. Now, maybe eventually someone else would have figured it out, but Catherine had a mind that was unique and worked in a very impressive way, and she was able to see what no one else could, and she figured it out, and her, her discovery there of an old math is what allowed NASA to not just put a man in space, but to bring him home safely and put them down right at the space that they were supposed to be and at the right point in the right time. And she played an absolutely critical role in the mission. And when we come to the New Testament, there are a couple women who stand out to me that often go overlooked and often we forget the critical role that they played in Jesus's ministry. It's a small passage in a a verse that we maybe overlook in Luke chapter 8. First three verses in Luke chapter 8 says, Soon afterward he went through this, through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. 
And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. Have you ever wondered where Jesus had the money to do ministry? Okay, we have this one story of Jesus being asked if he paid taxes and told Peter to go get a fish out of the water and there's a coin in his mouth and he paid for the taxes for Peter and Jesus. But but how did Jesus eat and afford to stay different places and replace the clothes when they wore out because clothes don't last forever? How did he afford to do ministry? It's not free. There were some women, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, who provided for them, Jesus and the twelve, out of their means. Now in this time period, and when we look at scripture, we often emphasize the patriarchal system that existed, and it certainly did. We're not wrong as we, as we talk about that. But there's another system that exists during this time, the caste system. There's an upper class, there's a lower class, and within the upper class of the Roman Empire, there were three classes within the upper class, and within the lower class, there were four subclasses within the lower class. And there were oftentimes that actually the class system trumped the patriarchy. If you had a woman from an upper class and a man from the lower class, um, he, he didn't get the better seat at the party just because he was a man. She did because she had money and influence and power. And it might have been because who she was married to. There's a lot of dynamics there, but we often forget that this class system is, plays a very important role. And these three women that we read about in Luke chapter 8, they came from a most likely an upper class. They were in that upper class, one of those three groups there. And they provided for Jesus and the twelve financially. They provided food, they provided resources, places to stay, clothes. They provided out of their means. Now maybe Jesus would have figured out how to do ministry. He is Jesus after all. But they made it possible for Jesus not to have to worry about a job, providing for the twelve. There might not have been a 401k retirement plan, but they had what they needed Because these women stepped up and played a very crucial role in Jesus' ministry. The final person in Hidden Figures that I want to talk about and highlight is Dorothy Vaughn. Dorothy was a supervisor, but not in title or pay. There had never been an African-American female supervisor. So she did the work, but she was not recognized as a supervisor. She's seen going through one of the buildings at NASA when they're bringing in the first physical IBM computer. Some of you might remember those. They they took up the whole floor, massive, massive machines. And she knew right then and there that something something about this is probably not going to be good for her and her girls who are working as computers. And they know that this physical computer this thing can do all the calculations and shortly they're going to be out of the job so so dorothy takes a risk and she starts to learn about programming a computer check out this clip we don't want any trouble in here oh i'm not having any trouble ma'am what are you here for a book 
books in the cupboard section? It doesn't have what I'm looking for. Well, that's just the way it is. Go on out. You know better. Get your hands off my boys. Don't touch them. You have a blessed day. She learned this programming language and took it back to the women in the computing group and taught them, and she did become the first supervisor leading a team of women to program this IBM computer. And as I thought about her role and what she did in teaching and leading, there was a name from the New Testament that came to mind, and that is Priscilla. We're introduced to Priscilla in Acts chapter 18 when Paul meets her husband Aquila and introduces Priscilla. And of the six times that they are mentioned, they are always seen together. Aquila is not seen without Priscilla. Priscilla is not seen without Aquila. And they are seen together. We really don't know much about them. We know that they have a house church. So probably they're in that upper class. We know that Paul respects them deeply, that they were very influential in, in Christianity in the, in the first centuries. He references them in, in Romans and gives them credit in, in other places. And Priscilla and Aquila greet you and send my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. And, and it is interesting that her name almost always comes first. Now we want to have to be very careful about making any implications from this. Some might argue that she took a leading role and she actually did more of the teaching and leading in the church than he did, but we don't see any evidence of that in scripture. It could actually be that she was part of the upper class and and he was part of maybe a lower upper class or he might have even been part of a lower class. Men, how many of us married up? Answer very carefully here, right? This is not unusual. And if he married up, her name would have naturally come first because so many times the class system trumped the patriarchy of the day and and he actually would get promoted into the class that she was a part of. And so we can't really make any strong implications from this, but what we do see is that they do it together. They do it together. In Acts chapter 18 we see them hearing Apollos speak. And Apollos spoke with, with boldness. He spoke eloquently, but he didn't know fully the things of God. He only knew of John's baptism. And so verse 26 of Acts 18, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They filled in some many some missing pieces that he had. But they did it together. Priscilla and Aquila are still looked to by missions organizations as they are training couples to go out on the mission field for how to do missions together. 
when marriage happens, there is a unity that is formed. And when it comes to faith, when it comes to our relationship with God and living in this world, being disciples of God, we should do this together. For those of us who are married, there is a unity that this comes, there's, there's a togetherness here. There is this desire to do it in community if we are not married, but there is a oneness in marriage that we should do it together. So as much as we may joke about who wears the pants in the relationship, who the real boss is, who makes the decisions, there should be a unity in marriage. Hannah and I celebrated five years this past week, and I know that's not a huge milestone, and we hope to celebrate many more and and have many, 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 many more years together. But in the five years we've had so far, no instance really comes to mind of any time that I said, I'm the man, I'm making this decision, I'm putting my foot down. We work on things together. We come to a decision together Sometimes she cares a bit more about it than I do. Sometimes I care a bit more about something than she does. And we work together as a team, united, because that's how God designed marriage to be. And so we work on it together. And Priscilla played a role in teaching and leading with Aquila in a house church and in the early church. And a crucial role in, in leading many to Christ and explaining the ways of God. And as we wrap it up, I wanted to end it here because at the end of the day, it's not about you. And it's not about me. And it's not about what roles we have to play. It's about all of us being hidden figures and pointing to the cross. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus put it this way, verse 16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. At the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not about me. We all get to go backstage and we leave the stage for Christ. It doesn't matter if we provide for ministry financially. It doesn't matter if we are prayer warriors. It doesn't matter if we are leading and teaching. It doesn't matter what other gifts that we have, singing on the praise team or playing an instrument or or being involved in greeting or other places. It doesn't matter if we try to take the stage ourselves and point to ourselves and point to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing within us. and, And we try to take the glory rather than pointing to the cross. It's not about us. May the world see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. And that's what we are to do. We are to all be hidden figures. We are all to take a back seat and give God the glory using the gifts that we've been given, working together on a team. These three women in in Hidden Figures, they didn't do it alone. They weren't the only people on the team. They worked together 
with many others to accomplish a task so much bigger than themselves. In church, we have a task in front of us that is so, so much bigger. And we need some prayer warriors who are praying passionately. We need people who have some financial means to provide for ministry. We need people who can lead and teach. We need people who have musical skills and gifts. We need people who are so joyful to be here to open the door and to greet people with a smile. We need people who love children to serve in our children's ministry because we can't do this alone. And together, we use our gifts to tell an unbelieving world about the unbelievable love of God. And so may we all be hidden figures. May we all take a back seat and use everything that we have to glorify God and make his name known. Father God, you are so amazing. And we are so grateful for the gifts that you have given us, for being a righteous and just judge, that when we come before you, hear our cries, you hear our petitions. We are so grateful for the resources that we have been given. And God, may we be moved and reminded that it is not about us. It is fully about you. And that everything we do points to you. Everything that we have is for you. And extending your kingdom in this world. For glorifying your name and making your name known. That it is all about you. As we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We are going to pause in this moment to have communion as a family together as a reminder of what really is most important of where really everything changed everything came into focus the Old Testament was fulfilled it makes so much sense in what it was leading to and pointing to and it all came down to this moment that Jesus was with his disciples and he broke bread representing his body broken for us and he poured the cup representing his blood shed for us that the Son of God, God Himself, perfect without sin, went to the cross and died so that we could be in relationship with Him. And so we look to the cross and we say thank you. I'm going to be at the front here if anyone would like to pray or talk about any decisions or anything that's on your heart. We want to encourage you to come down and other people from our prayer team will be around. After a time of personal reflection and, and thinking and hearing from God, we just want to encourage you to partake of communion on your own when you are ready. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful for your love, for your grace, for this community, for people around us and our families. Lord, we are so grateful for your son on the cross who sacrificed everything. God, may we remember in this moment that it's not about us, that it's about you. And whatever we can do to glorify you and make your name known. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.